Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, or rather 1 Kings chapter number 9. The book of 1 Kings and chapter number 9. We are still continuing with this major event of King Solomon, who has now become king in his reign, has spent this time building the temple, the house of the Lord. He has then spent much time uh, sanctifying it to the Lord. Then in a dedication ceremony, had tons of sacrifices, took time to pray, took time to seek God's face, had people there searching and seeking with him. And a wonderful thing happens that as Solomon makes this big public prayer, the presence of God shows up. Then it shows up in smoke and then it's backdrop by fire. And we see as God speaks to Solomon a second time. Now we got a small taste of it in the book of 2 Chronicles in chapter number 7 this morning as we focused mainly on one verse. But we're turning back to 1 Kings chapter number 9 and we're going to find the parallel passage. 1 Kings in chapter number 9, we're going to find what it mentions in the same event in the book of 1 Kings chapter 9, where the Lord appears to Solomon a second time. Let's pick it up in the book of 1 Kings chapter 9, and we're going to begin at verse number 2. The book of 1 Kings chapter 9, and notice with me in verse number 2, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord has said unto him, Solomon, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. And I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart, and in an uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I has promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But if ye shall turn at, or shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my stat commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them and this house which I have hallowed for my name and will cast out of my sight and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And at this house, which is high, every one that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss. And they shall say, why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, because 
they forsook the Lord, their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt and taken hold upon other gods and have worshiped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Kings in chapter number 9? 1 Kings chapter 9 in verse number 2, notice the phrase, the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time. The Lord appeared to Solomon the second time. And if you don't mind, perhaps we could kind of subtitle this as we go on this message, the responsibilities of being one of God's people. The responsibilities for being one of God's people. If you don't mind, this will be a very important as God himself shows up to deliver a message. Let's see what God has to say about this. If you don't mind, let's go to God himself right now and ask that he open up this passage for us. Lord, thank you so much again for you, what you've been doing. Thank you for the victories. Thank you for the things that have been going on. Thank you for us being able to seek you and to worship you and to know you. I'm asking that even now that you would draw us close to you, that our eyes would be upon you, that we would see you high, holy, and lifted up, that we could see the amazing lessons that we find in this passage and that we would be drawn close to you even more, Lord. Thank you again for this passage and the great warning that we have here. Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Solomon has now set this aside, set the temple and dedicated to God, he has sought God's face, and an amazing thing has happened. God himself shows up to Solomon. In fact, as it makes reference to in verse number two, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him, Solomon at Gibeon. Remember that God has already appeared to Solomon before, that he has appeared at Gibeon. When Solomon first became king, he took some time by himself, separated himself, and went out to Gibeon, and he sacrificed and spent some time. Remember that it was probably days or weeks that he spent those sacrifices of his own time, of his own money, taking time, separating himself just to be alone with God. God. And God appeared to him. Remember that God showed up and asked Solomon what he would want it, that he could ask anything he wanted, gave him a blank check, whatever you want. And God um, and Solomon had asked for discernment and understanding to rule the people. And God was very pleased with that. Now here we are that Solomon has taken the time to build a house for the Lord, dedicated the house for the Lord. And now he has prayed and dedicated and God shows up a second time. God has shown up to speak to Solomon. And in this time, the Lord shows up to remind Solomon about the importance of living for the Lord. We're going to see this here. This is going to be a warning to Solomon and for Solomon's people. Now, may I pause as we just kind of logically think through this. Normally we show up and go, man, what an amazing thing that would be for God to show up in his presence, to be able to speak to us, to, to talk with us. Now, may I remind you that when God shows up, this is warnings here. These are saying, listen, there's some things you need to watch out for. And whereas 
uh, it may sound great until you're the one being preached at. Maybe perhaps it doesn't sound that great, but God's directly speaking to him. Notice it's not a preacher delivering the message. It's not someone who's, who's, um, who's trying to rattle him. It's not the idea that he's just read this in the Bible. God himself shows up. Now, as you compare scripture with scripture and you start considering these things, we look at Solomon's father, David. If you look back, how many times did Sol- uh, God show up personally to speak to David? And the answer is none. Now, think about this. David, who was the sweetest psalmist of Israel, David, who wrote all these psalms, David, who was the man after God's own heart, God doesn't show up personally to speak to David. So then why would God show up twice to speak to Solomon? That's a good question to ponder. Why is it that God would show up twice to Solomon and none to David? Well, the answer here is that David never needed a personal appearance to the Lord to be reminded what to do, what was right. You see, David didn't need guidelines or a checklist to live for the Lord. David is an example of someone with a correct relationship with the Lord. That if you have your eyes on the Lord, you don't need a checklist. You don't need a guidelines. You don't need a bunch of rules to remind you what to do and how to do things. If you have your eyes on the Lord, you're going to automatically do what is right. You're going to naturally do what is right. That is the correct relationship for the Lord. But why do we have hard preaching? <laughs> why, why do we have these reminders? Why do we have a pastor that shows up every Sunday morning? The greatest thing you can do on a daily basis is to read the word of God. Why do we have messages like Sunday school this morning that said that we're supposed to obey the royal law, which is to love others as ourselves? Why do we have messages like this? Why do we have the message like, if my people... Well, the same reason why God showed up to Solomon. Solomon, as opposed to David, David had an example of someone who had a correct relationship with the Lord that looked at God and followed God and naturally did what was right without a checklist, without reminders, without people kind of behind him saying, all right, come on, let's do what's right. Hey, keep your eyes on God. Solomon, on the other hand, because he's a typical normal Christian, A normal Christian needs those special reminders about their walk. A normal Christian needs to be reminded that there's consequences for their sin. A normal Christian has to have these things because we're prone to wonder. Because we get our eyes off the Lord and we start trying to follow our own path. We determine what's right and what not. And so we need these reminders. Keep your eyes on the Lord. We need these reminders. Don't go this way. We need these reminders. There's consequences for your actions. Solomon is an example of a normal Christian. Why did he need the warning? Because he's going to do this. Everything that God tells him not to do, Solomon's going to do it. God would not have to warn Solomon if Solomon was not in danger of doing it. What we're seeing here is that perhaps it would be best if we had a type of relationship where God, where God didn't show up to us and give us reminders all the time. Perhaps 
we should be able to just keep our eyes on the Lord and automatically do what's right. Wouldn't it make it easier? Wouldn't it be more wonderful if not changing the preaching of the church, we understand that we're not changing the preaching, but to be able to show up at church and to hear hard messages and be able to smile and say, man, I'm so thankful I keep my eyes on the Lord rather than show up to church and the pastor preach from the Bible and we go, man, he stepped on my toes today. Man, I need a reminder. Hey, I need to make some changes. Hey, I need to, you understand the, that's our typical response. It's because we're prone to wonder. It is much easier just to keep our eyes on the Lord in the first place and naturally do the things that we're supposed to rather than have God show up and give us the reminders because we keep messing up. That changes everything in this message, doesn't it? I mean, perhaps you've been in the type of the Christian where you read this and God showed up to Solomon a second time. God, will you show up for me? Well, maybe perhaps that's, we need to be careful what we're looking for necessarily because God had to show up to tell Solomon to warn him. Now, again, think about this. When God warned Solomon of the things he was in danger of doing, he didn't send a preacher. He did not have a preacher beating him up over the pulpit over and over. It wasn't that he read these things in his Bible. God showed up and said, Solomon, don't do this. Now that becomes a lot more powerful. You know, we know that God's word is as if God was speaking to us, but we could justify it in our mind. Well, it's just what the Bible says. You know, we could justify, well, that's just the preacher just being the preacher. But you know, it is completely different when God shows up and himself says, don't do this. I mean, that's a whole different level. Now we know that if the preacher's preaching the Bible or we open up the Bible, it's just as if God had spoken to us. That's how we should treat it. But again, to have God show up and say, Solomon, boy, be careful. Solomon, I'm giving you some warnings because you are in danger. I know your heart. I know you. I know everything about you. Now, partly we have seen before that Solomon had been controlled by his mother. And because of that, he had been taught a little bit that women needed to have control over him. So when we see later on when he has all these thousands of women around him and he's starting to wonder to go serve other gods, it's because God knew him. Solomon, there are some spiritual characteristic deficiencies in your life. There are some character flaws that I know about. I know how you're easily influenced by others. I know how others are able to pull your puppet strings and to get your eyes off of me. So Solomon, I'm warning you, look at me. Keep your eyes on me. Follow after me. And to make this here, God shows up in his glory, in his presence, Solomon, I heard what you said. Obey me. Look at me. Follow me. So with this, as we examine here and look at the warnings that God preached. Now remember, God is a much better preacher than any other man you could ever know. We hear, this is not a message by Isaiah. 
This is not Ezra's message. This is not Jeremiah's message. This is God's message. He is preaching to, to Solomon to warn him. And if God is preaching a message, we definitely want to pay attention. And we can see here that there are some responsibilities we have to be one of God's people. Some of the things that not only is God telling Solomon to warn and to tell and to guard, but these are things that we should also be warned of in our own lives. And so if you don't mind, let's examine this text here and see the warning that God gives to Solomon. The first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is that God set apart his house and his people for his use. God set apart his house and his people for his use. Notice with me again in verse 2. That the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I, this is God, have hallowed this house which thou hast built and have put my name there forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Now, there's something significant about this. Notice this. It says, as it's using the personal pronouns, God is speaking. He says, in that house is my name. In this house, my eyes. In this house, my heart. Do you know that throughout the Bible, you may not think this, but in the Bible, very little is said about God's heart. But in this passage, God says, in that house there has my name and it has my eyes on it and it has my heart. What it's saying is that every part of God is invested in his house. It is his house. And so it's not someone else's house on loan. It's not someone who's borrowing it for a while. It's my house. Notice with me, if you don't mind, that word hallowed now. Verse number three, it said, I have hallowed it. The word hallow means to sanctify or to set apart for God's use. God is claiming that this place is to be the representation of God's presence among God's people. This house was designed to protect them in their allegiance to God. But it was not meant, and we're going to see that later, to protect them in their rebellion or their disobedience. God says, listen, I'm invested in this house, but I'm going to let you know right now that if they misuse my house, I'm not above taking care of it. And God will. But he gives a warning here. You know, sometimes people get in the idea that, well, I'm one of God's people. God's not going to do anything to me. Yes, he will. In fact, the Hebrew people very much got into this. You go to Jeremiah's day and all the preachers are saying, listen, you're one of God's people. You do whatever you want. You know, God's not going to do anything to you. And Jeremiah's like, yes, he will. And they're like, nah, 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 we're fine. No, you're not. We understand that God's put his name in there and he's heavily invested. Sometimes we get kind of baffled with how people see church. God said to the Lord Jesus Christ, said to Peter, that he said, Peter, upon this rock, and Jesus points to himself, I will build my church. We learn a couple things from there. 
that we understand that Jesus says the church is his. It's not ours. You know, sometimes we use the personal pronoun and we understand I belong to that church. But when it's all said and done, it's God's church. Kind of like we sometimes call this Solomon's temple, but it was never referred to Solomon's temple in the Bible. It was always called the Lord's house. It's not our church. It's God's church. And God told Peter, Peter, I'm letting you know something. I, Jesus, will build my church. He didn't say you will build my church. He didn't say I will build your church. He didn't say you are going to build your church. I will build my church. It's mine. I determine what to do with it. I'm invested with it. It doesn't just have my name on it. It has my eye on it. It has my heart on it. If you think about the book of Ephesians, do you know in the book of Ephesians, God so loved the church that he gave his life for it? You understand, it's not just the idea that we as a church have God's name upon us and we're carrying God's name. God's invested in this place. And he so loved the church that he gave his life for it. And yet we find ourselves all the time where people devalue church. Probably no better day to emphasize this than Super Bowl Sunday. Because you know how many churches have canceled their services? And even those who did not cancel their services, how many churches are empty of regular people because they chose some other house rather than the Lord's house. They don't have the same emphasis that God places upon his house. There is a de-emphasis on the Lord's house. And we have to recognize that God has set this apart for his use. Now, Let's further define what we mean by the church. When we talk about the church, we're not talking about the four walls. We're not saying, well, this is God's house. And so because of it, only godly things can happen in the building. We, we make that application, but it's not the building that God's talking about. What is the church? It is the assembly of God's people together. It is an assembly. And the people who make up that assembly, those together are the church. And God says, those are my people set apart for my use. You can't just live however you want because I'm invested in this. And if we want to have a group of assembly that wants to not act, separate it to me, I'm not above taking them out. I'm not above fixing it. I'm not above discipline. I'm not, because it's my house. I'm invested in it. Again, so many people treat it that, well, we have God's name on the door and that's all we need. We can do whatever we want after this. Psalm 127 verse one, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. It is God's house. It is set apart for his use. We're God's people. We're set apart for God's use. And remember, he's looking at Solomon and saying, I'm reminding you, boy, I'm telling you, son, that this is set apart for my use. You don't get a say you're supposed to obey. These are my people and that you have the responsibility as a leader to help them to continue to point to me. That's a big responsibility. We understand that God has set apart his house and his people for his use. There's a responsibility here of being part of God's people. A second thing that we see here is that God mentions, if thou will walk before me, 
if thou will walk before me. Notice here, we verse four. And if thou will walk before me, as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart, and in an uprightness, to do according to all that I've commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my government. Notice there's a requirement for God's people to walk with God, but notice how they're supposed to walk with God. In integrity of heart. Integrity has to do with character. It carries the idea of doing what's right even when no one's looking. Who you truly are is not who you are in public. Anyone could put a salesman version on. Who you truly are is who you are by yourself with the lights off, no one looking. What is your character? Who are you when no one else is looking? God wants us to be consistent in our walk regardless of our circumstances, regardless of everything. God says, I want you to walk in integrity of heart. Again, he's talking to Solomon. He's giving a warning here that I want you to be consistent. Again, we're Super Bowl Sunday. I'm picking on Super Bowl, might as well. Many people in churches this morning Amen, preacher. Amen. This is good stuff. Sang the songs. And then we're not consistent and have left it all behind. I'm sure that as the Super Bowl has started, I don't know what time, I don't pay attention to such things, that they're probably not thinking about how good God is right now. Now they may be praying for their team to win, but that's a completely different story. There's not a consistency of heart. They're not being consistent with what God is doing. Uh, with what God has planned. They're able to do something in these circumstances, but you change the circumstances, it changes who they are. It changes how they behave. And may I say that there are many Christians who sat and looked good this morning that are going to completely lose their testimony in a few minutes. We've been there. You've seen people act the fool and throw people across the room that calls themselves Christian because someone made a fumble or coach made a ref made a bad call. We, we understand this. We're not speaking a foreign language. People are going to lose their testimony in a few minutes that called themselves Christians this morning. They're not being consistent. They don't have integrity of heart. Now remember, God is pulling Solomon aside, looking at him and say, listen, walk with me integrity of heart. Now, again, to have God show up, to have God look at him and say, listen, I'm telling you, this is a big deal. God is not wasting words. He's delivering a message to Solomon, trying to (coughs) put an impact on him that, hey, maybe this is important. Maybe this is something I should consider. Maybe this is a different way I should behave. Maybe God's telling me something about myself that I don't realize about myself. Now, If you did a survey with Solomon a couple minutes ago and say, Solomon, are you always going to live for the Lord? He'd look at you and say, well, of course I would. You talked to Christians this morning. Hey, are you going to lose your testimony today? No. What are you talking about? There's a warning here on purpose because we don't plan on betraying God. We don't plan on walking away. We don't plan on losing our testimony. It just happens. Because we're not careful. Because we don't guard it. We don't put safeguards. We don't take the warning seriously. We don't think that we're capable of messing up. I mean, think about yourself. If you were to have a crystal ball, mirror, whatever else, 
and you were going to be told that tomorrow that you were going to mess up, you wouldn't have believed it. What? No, no, I'm not going to mess up. No, no, that's inconceivable. Why would I do that? But there's a warning there that, guess what? Anybody's capable of anything at any time. And that we have to be careful, take the warning seriously and guard the integrity of our heart. How do we guard the integrity of our heart? Well, we start by being consistent with who we are in private. Listen, if you're not reading your Bible, you are guaranteed ready to slip up. Absolutely. And by the way, that's anybody. If I, as the pastor who's read the Bible so many times, put together a Bible, working on this Bible project, whatever else, if I stop reading my Bible, I am capable of anything at any time. Before there's a public fall, there's a private failing. We have to purposely guard the integrity of our heart. If you are not reading your Bible in private, you are going to fail in public. You just wait for it. It will show up. If you're not having a close communion, talk with God in private. You are definitely not going to maintain a testimony in public. You could put on a face, but you put the right circumstance, you put the right thing, and you will mess up. And your mess up will be horrific and horrible. We're capable of anything, anytime. Why is God telling Solomon? Because Solomon is going to mess up, and he's going to mess up horrifically and horribly. Because he did not guard his heart. He did not keep the integrity. He allowed his, his devotion to God to slip and it allowed others to start moving him along somewhere where he never planned on being. There's a third thing here. God says, if thou shalt turn from following me. If thou shalt turn from following me. Now here's the warning. He's trying to tell him, listen, I've set you apart and I've set apart my house and that my name's there, my eyes there, my heart's there. This is important to me. He says, listen, I'm trying to tell you, you need to guard and walk with me integrity of heart. You need to guard your heart. You need to guard your private walk because here's the warning. If you turn from following me, if you turn from following me, there's no getting out of jail free card. You know, think about this. God has showed up to Solomon twice. Does that make him exempt from any punishment? Does that make him exempt from any failings? Does this make him exempt that God won't do anything to him if he messed up publicly? No, it does not. Just because show, someone shows up to a good service and they are faithful to a good church doesn't make us exempt when we do turn from following God. Notice as God gives the warning, verse 6. But, but, but if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments, and will not keep my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. God's going to go on and say, listen, I'm going to cut off Israel. I'm going to make it a byword. I'm going to make it so people come by and say, I thought this is a place with God's name on it. And people are like, 
That's what happens when you turn away from God. God, it doesn't matter who you are. If you turn from God, there's consequences for it. But look back again, as we were talking about that, he says, if you go and serve other gods, the main infraction God gives to Solomon is this idea of serving other gods. Serving other gods. Perhaps we could describe a little bit more about this serving other gods, but trying to describe what do we mean by this? Now, we know that today we are not serving little statues of Buddha. We don't have these other things. We're not talking about physical idols, but we know that there are real idols in their life. How can we tell if someone is God or what is a little G God in your life? What is a little G God in your life? It is whatever you obey and serve. Some people, it's their phones. If their phones call to them, if their phones speak to them, they have to obey their phone. Oh, I got a text message. I just can't. I got to obey what it says. I can't resist from it. I got a notification. I've got something. I've got to. People are addicted to their phones and whatever their phone tells them, they have to obey it. They cannot be separated from their phone. They will die. It's their little G God. Some people, their little G God is their hobby. That when their hobby speaks to them, they have to respond. They can hear it calling to them. And I have to get to it. Some, it may be like gardening. It could be something like video games. For some people, their little G God is their children. And their children speak to them. And as long as their children is a little G God, let me tell you something. You cannot go against your little G God. For example, if a parent has a child that's a little G God, how do you spank your God? How do you correct your God? How do you make your little G God listen when you're the one who obeys them? You understand this little G God controls our life. We obey and serve that little G God. Of course, today is the Mecca of little G gods. And the big G didn't make it either. Sorry, Green Bay joke. Good. But we understand there are a lot of people that are answering their God today. I think I saw something 100 million Americans are watching that game today. That's a lot. There's probably more people watching that game than what was in church this morning. This game very much dominates and controls. If they say, guess what? We are starting at this time. That's when everyone is there, present and counted for, ready to go. If they were to switch the time, that's when everybody go. If they switch the date, that's when everyone would go. They're answering that. In fact, I saw an article today that they are actually considering making Super Bowl Monday a holiday. So that way people can rest and relax after their big horrific day they had today. I mean, that's a legitimate thing. That is something they are considering doing. Now, when it comes to the idea that it's a national holiday for a game where people get time off, you don't have to go to school, you don't have to go to work. I could say that we're probably moving to a little G territory. Probably just a little bit. Today, people have the option. Do I go to church and honor the Lord like I know I'm supposed to? 
or do I go gather with my game? Now, I understand we're not against fellowship and we're not against game and we're not necessarily against football per se. But if it pulls us away from honoring the Lord and doing what we're supposed to, now it becomes a problem. It becomes an issue. Maybe we could further define this idea by using what the Bible calls adultery. Spiritual adultery. The Bible talks about this in James 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whosoever shall be a friend of the world is, present tense, the enemy of God. What is adultery? It's putting love and affection that do not belong to something to that person. For example, if I was to commit adultery with my wife, I'm taking love and affection that belong to her and giving to someone else, even if I didn't do a physical act. If I put love and affection that goes to her and it goes to, and I deliver it to someone else, I've committed adultery with her. Well, there's love and affection that belongs to God. Love, affection, obedience, devotion, service, integrity that belong to God. And goes to what God loves. And if we take that love of devotion, time, service, sacrifice, and we give it to something else, it becomes a God in our life. A little G God. Which again, go back to what I've been hitting all day today. Just happens, I didn't plan it this way. The message just happens to line up today. It makes it easy. I don't have to go pick on your sin today. I can just pick on that sin. That we are having a warning from God, listen, you are going to be tempted to go serve other gods. God mentions it in verse number six. Once again, he mentions it in verse number nine. Notice this, as an answer to what happened to God's house when God brings destruction to it, verse nine, and they shall answer because they, God's people, forsook the Lord, their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have taken a hold upon them other little G gods and have worshiped them and serve them. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them all this evil. God doesn't allow sin to be in his presence. And if this is his place and his people that he has put his name, his eye, his heart into, and the thing that he loves goes to put love and affection that belongs to him to someone else, doesn't God have every right to be upset? Absolutely. Especially when we tie it in that God is calling it adultery. There's not a single person who wouldn't understand someone being mad if adultery was committed against them. I meant if I somehow went out of my mind and committed adultery against my wife, doesn't she have every reason to be upset with me? And that's not something that goes away lightly. Then why do you expect God to say, oh, it's just adultery, no big deal. When it's gone against him, it is a very big deal. So God is having Solomon and saying, son, I've got some things to tell you. I'm trying to get your attention because you're capable of these things and you need to be careful. Now, isn't Solomon going to walk away and exactly do this thing? He's going to walk away and go to these women who are going to drive him away to go serve these little G gods. 
all because he didn't guard the integrity of his heart. All because he didn't register that he was separated to God for God's use. All because he wasn't keeping his eyes on God. You say, are you trying to give us a list of do's and don'ts? No, the main thing is keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on him. And do what it takes to keep your eyes on him. Do what it takes because we know that we're all prone to wonder. All prone to leave the God I love. Every single one of us are capable of it. And so this warning is not to Solomon and not because, oh, well, we know the end of the story. We already knew that he had some failings. This is a warning to us because we all have those potential failings. It is very easy for us to walk away. Very easy for us to get little G gods. Very easy for us to put our affection that belongs to God, our service and time that belongs to God and give it to something else. And the warning here is that God will not just allow it to happen. He will not just shrug his shoulders. He will have every right to be upset. And as God did to the people of Israel, he brought destruction upon them. So much so that God destroyed the temple. And may I say, he didn't didn't do it once. He did it in 586 BC with the Babylonians. But because the people did it again... He did it in 70 AD when the Romans came and destroyed it. And it has never been rebuilt again. God has showed us twice that he is very serious about this. And just because we call ourselves a church, just because we say that we have God's name, just because we say we honor, we are not exempt that if we decide to wonder that we are not above consequences for actions. In fact, we're even more responsible. Solomon was king God knew that Solomon and his failings or his successes would influence others. If Solomon was looking towards the Lord, others would look to the Lord. If Solomon got his eyes off the Lord and served little g-gods, others would serve these little g-gods. There's an idea of influence. That's why the consequences came because there's influence and God has to say, no, this is not allowable and teach people lessons. Even if Solomon didn't learn his lesson, we can learn our lesson by watching Solomon and say, I don't want that. What is the key to this? Keeping our eyes on the Lord. So I ask you once again, where are your eyes? Do you have little G-gods? We're all capable of it. And we're capable of having these little G-gods in our life. Are you guarding your life? Are you walking God with integrity? Are you recognizing that he has every right to love us and expect us to serve and devote to him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhouse, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.